I love my older brother, Paul. He's the one in the top right corner of this picture. Now, Paul is more than eight years older than me, but even though we have an age difference, we've always been friends. When I was young, we would just talk. We would talk when we were at home. We would talk when we were driving in the car somewhere. We would talk about life. We would talk about God. We would talk about music. The conversation just never seemed to end. Even when he went off to college, whenever he would come home for a visit, the conversation would just pick up where it had left off. Well, now my brother and I are older. We have a lot of responsibilities each, and we live in different states. So now our conversation has moved mostly to text. But there are times when I I send him a text message. I want to connect with him about something. I want to get his idea on something, and he won't answer. I get silence back from him. An hour will go by. A few hours will go by. A day or more, and just silence in return. And I know I do the same to him sometimes as well. Do you ever feel like your prayer life is that way? You're in relationship with God. You're in conversation with God. and You you send a prayer. You give a prayer request. And all you get back is silence from him. You know, there's an amazing statement in our scripture today. In verse 17, Jesus says, My father is working until now, and I am working. It's an interesting statement. He's answering a challenge about the Sabbath, but it's an interesting statement for us to consider when we pray to him, when we ask him a prayer request, when we plead with him, and all we get back is silence. It's interesting for us to hear that he's always working because it doesn't always seem that way. It seems like he's being silent. We teach this wonderful phrase to our children in kids' church here at Stanwich, and it goes like this. God is always working for his glory and our good. God is always working for his glory and for our good. I'm so glad we teach the children that. It's a beautiful phrase that is so descriptive and so true. But to be honest with you, sometimes it's hard to believe it. It's hard to believe that God is always working for his glory and for our good, because sometimes when we pray, when we reach out to him, when we plead with him, we get silence in return. But you know, our scripture today, this story of the paralyzed man, it really teaches us how to wait, how to wait in the silence. This scripture teaches us that God is always working, even when we can't see it, even when we don't deserve it, and even in ways we can't imagine. So let's dive in. Let's look at this story together, starting in verse 2. Others in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Wow. I get impatient when my brother doesn't text me back within an hour. Here's a man who was sitting by a pool that he believed could heal him if he dipped in it. He believed that God could heal him through the pool if he was dipped in it. And he waited there for 38 long years. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the very same scripture story where Jesus says, my father's always working and I'm always working. Well, I wonder if the man waiting there for those 38 years believed that. I wonder if we had found this man. 
three months into his wait. Three years into his wait. 15 years while he sat there waiting to be healed. 27 years. 35 years. If we came to him on the 37th year while he was waiting to be healed, if we walked up to him and if we said, hey, do you believe in the God who is always working for his glory and for your good? I wonder what that man would have said. He might have looked around the place and said, where is that God? He could have told me that God's always working for his glory and for my good. Here I wait all these years later. Yet in the same story, Jesus says he's working. Sometimes God is working even when we can't see it. I experienced a version of that story once in my own life. It was through watching the story of my older sister, Stacy. She's the one in the sunglasses in that picture. Stacy and I belong to the same Christian school in Holland, Michigan, where we grew up. All four of my siblings and I belong to that same school. We had moved in from another town when my sister was in the fifth grade. And she entered into that grade and then went through middle school and high school. And they were really hard years for her. They were hard socially with the girls and with the boys. She didn't respond all that well to the Christian education. And it just wasn't a great fit for her. She had a really hard time. And finally, halfway through high school, she had just had enough. She wanted to just get out of there. She wanted to go as far away from Holland, Michigan as she could possibly think. So she signed up to become an exchange student for a year in high school to Bolivia. Now, I was watching all of this as her younger brother. And in, in my perspective, in my view, she was just running away from it all. Stacy gave me permission to share this story with you today. And indeed, it was, in many ways, it was like a, it was like a rebellion. It was just a, a running away from home, a running away from the Christian school, a running away from the faith, even. And there she went, off she went to Bolivia, where she had to learn Spanish, she had to learn the culture, she had to learn the customs, but she was doing her own thing. Now, eventually she came home. She went to college, but she still kind of stayed a little bit distant emotionally from the family and I think from the faith as well. She was on her own path. But over time, slowly and surely, she came home in every way. She came home relationally with the family. She came home to the faith. Now, my sister, Stacy, teaches Spanish at the Christian school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you had told me when I was still there in high school and she had run off to Bolivia, if you had told me that one day your sister is going to be a teacher at a Christian school, I would have said, oh no, you're thinking of my other sister. You're thinking of Kristen. But here's Stacy, fully actualized in her faith and in her gifting. She learned Spanish while she was in Bolivia. And now she teaches Spanish at a Christian school. You know, what I saw through my eyes, when I saw her run off to Bolivia, I saw a rebellious teenager. But you know what God saw? God was equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. He was making sure she knew Spanish and she got cultural experiences so that she would be a discipler of children at that Christian school now in Grand Rapids. Isn't that amazing? God is always working even when we can't see it. Now, maybe you hear that story about my sister and you think, wow, good for her. 
Good for her for coming home to the faith and coming home to the family. Good job. But ultimately, that story is not really about her. It's a story about God. It's a story about God's faithfulness. That leads us to another thing that we learn about what we sometimes think is the silence of God. God is always working, even when we can't see it, but he's also working when we don't deserve it. It's not that my sister did something deserving. It's that God's faithfulness drew her home. God's always working for his glory and for our good, even when we don't deserve it. Did you notice this paralyzed man in our scripture today? You know, he comes across in this story pretty unimpressive. Let's pick up the story in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? You know, this seems like a valid question that Jesus had asked because of what we learn in the next verse. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. I think about this man for 38 straight years. He knew that there was a potential for healing power in this water. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, well, there's nobody really to bring me in there. When I do try to scoot myself over there, someone else goes in front of me. I'm looking at this guy thinking, really? For 38 years, those are your excuses? It seems if you really wanted to be healed, you would have figured something out by now. He kind of comes across as unimpressive in this story. Even later, after Jesus has healed him, he finds himself in the temple and people say, who healed you? Here's your chance to share your testimony about Jesus. And the man says, I don't know, I forgot his name. The man doesn't know who healed him even at that point. There's really nothing in this story that should impress us about this man. He's pretty unimpressive from beginning to end. And that's kind of the point. Because Jesus then gets all the credit. Jesus gets all the glory. See, most of our stories, the way we write our movies, the way we write our television stories, the way we write our books, is usually about some deserving hero. Somebody who is the the um, the David to the Goliath who's scrappy enough or who's intelligent enough to to beat the competition. We love stories like that, a deserving hero that we can celebrate. But that's not the gospel story. That's not the story of what happens to this paralyzed man. It's not like he figured things out and Jesus rewarded him with healing him. No, Jesus does the healing. It says so in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. You see, God is always working for his glory and for our good. The man in this story, he gets blessed. That's the good that he receives, but Jesus gets the glory. It's not usually how our stories go. We want to be the deserving hero, but God's always working in ways we can't imagine ways that we wouldn't write if we were writing the story. That's the third thing we see here. The first one is that God's always working for his glory and our good, even when we can't see it. The second thing is that he's always working, even when we don't deserve it. But thirdly, God is always working for his glory and for our good, even in ways we can't imagine. Let's pick up the story again in verse 9. I didn't read the whole verse. Look at the whole thing with me. At once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. Now, that day, 
was the Sabbath. Oh boy, Jesus. Jesus, you're talking about working. You're telling this man to pick up his bed and walk and it's the Sabbath day. Jesus, you're breaking all the categories here. You're not operating in the way we would expect. This is what the religious leaders, this is how they respond. Verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And the next few verses, people just get all twisted up in knots because Jesus wasn't operating in the way that they would expect him to. Jesus was claiming to be the son of God. And as such, he ought to know what God's laws are. You see, the people had, had the, their expectations so tight that they had really put God in a box. They put God in a box of their own expectations. They thought, that's not how God would operate. If this man healed this other man, he can't be God because we know how God would operate. And it's, it's kind of easy to laugh at these people who responded to Jesus in this way and say, ah, they missed Jesus, they missed his power. But if we're honest, sometimes, let me rephrase it, if I'm honest, I realize that I respond to Jesus in a similar way. I think Jesus can only operate in the ways I expect him to. Let me give you an example. If you had told me last New Year's Eve, six months ago, you had pulled me aside and said, hey, Nathan, this coming year, 2020, your congregation is going to stop coming into the sanctuary for 13 straight Sundays. Nobody's going to come worship in your sanctuary. If you had told me that on New Year's Eve last year, you know what I would have done? I would have, I would have prayed. I would have gotten on my knees and I would have said, God, don't let that happen. Whatever would cause that, don't let that happen. And this would have been my prayer. That would have been my earnest, sincere prayer. Lord, don't let that happen. But God did let it happen. And for 13 straight Sundays, nobody worshiped in our sanctuary. Even so, the kingdom expanded. The kingdom grew. The church came alive. People stepped up and helped in meaningful ways in their gifting and in their passions. People started signing on to Bible studies in record numbers. You know, my Thursday morning men's Bible study used to meet in a diner. And on a good week, we'd have about 15 men there. And now over Zoom, we have between 20 and 30 men. It's effectively doubled. More people are calling into prayer calls. More people are hungry for God. More people are hearing the gospel preached through our sermons because they're being distributed over Facebook and YouTube. All of these good things have come out of this bad situation. Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying I'm glad COVID-19 happened. It's been a really bad thing. But look at all the good that God has brought out of it. God's always working for his glory and for our good, even in ways I can't imagine. My other sister, Kristen, the one who's right in the middle of the picture, center left, she and her husband live in Alaska with their own three children, but they also over the years have brought in some foster children, some really high needs, difficult situation children. That's the kind of people they are. They just bring people into their home who need help. Well, some years ago, they had a high needs girl living in their home. And this girl had some kind of eating issues. And when it came to peanut butter, she would only eat 
a certain kind of peanut butter, very specific, from a certain kind of store, a certain brand, a certain type of that brand. And if she didn't have that peanut butter, she would just have these ballistic meltdowns. So they gave her the peanut butter. Right around that same time in their lives, my sister and my brother-in-law went through a season of financial hardship. They were underemployed for a little while. And they were having a hard time paying the bills. It was hard to buy groceries for that large of a family. And one day they realized they'd run out of that peanut butter. Well, at the very same time, some folks from their church learned that they needed some help and they brought over some grocery deliveries for them. And my niece was helping my sister unload some of those groceries on the kitchen table. And my niece reached into one of the grocery bags. She couldn't believe what her eyes saw. She pulled out, wouldn't you know it, the exact kind of peanut butter that this foster girl needed. According to my sister, my niece pulled that jar out. She looked at it. She looked at my sister and she said, can God do that? It was such a specific answer to their prayer. And the answer is yes, God can do that. God can work in ways we can't imagine. Sometimes that means blowing up our categories. Sometimes that means answering a very specific prayer. God is always working, even when we can't see it, even when we don't deserve it, and even in ways we can't imagine. When we realize this, when we realize this truth about God, well, we begin to rewrite our stories. We begin to rewrite our stories into better ones. We are tempted often to make our stories about us being a deserving hero. But when we realize the truth of the gospel, the truth of who God is and what he's done and how he works for his glory and for our good, we begin to realize that he's the hero of the story. He's the one working on our behalf. This is exactly what happens to the man in this story. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. It was Jesus who healed him. See, this is a better story than the story the man was living in. The story he was living in previously was, I'm the guy who sits by the pool and waits. I'm the guy who nobody seems to want to bring me over in there. And when I do try to go into that pool, somebody else gets in my way. That had been his story for really long. That's the story he reported to Jesus when he was asked. But now look at his story. Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. Jesus is always working. Even when I can't see it even though I don't deserve it, and even in ways I can't imagine. You know, ultimately, that story, that truth, it is the story of the gospel. It is the story of the cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the people who looked on in that moment, I bet it was hard for them to believe that God's always working for his glory and for our good. It looked in that moment like Jesus was being silenced. They couldn't see it. But you know, if we look closer, we see that it really was his glory, though it looked like his shame. And he was giving us something we don't deserve. He was working. He was doing the work of salvation, even though we didn't deserve it. That's the nature of grace. It's something we don't deserve. That's what he was giving us by dying in our place. And he was working in a way none of us could have imagined. Who could have imagined that our salvation would come 
through the death of Jesus. Yet that's how it went. When our eyes are open to see this, when we realize this better story is God's story and it's also ours, that he's always working. God is always working. Even when we can't see it. Even though we don't deserve it. And in ways we can't imagine. Thanks be to God. Amen.